0: Welcome to Midwretched, the home of the most heartless of the heartland.
1: Join us, Tommy and Mick, as we share the best true crime tales the Midwest has to offer.
0: Welcome back to Midwretched, friends. Yeah, welcome back. Happy Thanksgiving. Yay. Is this our Thanksgiving episode? This is our
1: Thanksgiving spectacular, remember?
0: That's awesome. Happy holidays, everybody.
1: Happy holidays. We hope you're eating plenty of pumpkin pie. Yes. And Buckeyes and pumpkin cookies and pumpkin bread. Yes. And stuffing.
0: Stuffing's my favorite. Yes. Do you remember the year that we made those pumpkin gnocchis? Yes! Oh my gosh. I still have that recipe. Oh, so good.
1: I should make them again.
0: Yeah. They're such a pain, though. They are annoying, but they're so delicious.
1: I loved that. If I was fancy, like on Top Chef, I'd have a gnocchi roller. Ooh,
0: well, I mean, Christmas is coming. You can put it on your gift list. (laughs) Why not? Because I would use it so often. You totally would. (laughs) Well, okay. Maybe not. (laughs) You never know. So yeah, welcome to our Thanksgiving spectacular.
1: Welcome! We're excited to have you. Thanks for tuning in during this lovely, lovely week of
0: festivities. Absolutely. We hope that you are celebrating safely in this, the time of a pandemic.
1: My lovely area is officially on lockdown.
0: Wow, yeah, you are, aren't you? Yep, not allowed to go anywhere. Wow. Well, we still are, because Indiana. Oh. Yep, even though our cases are at an all-time high. Oh, we're hitting records every day. Yeah, yep. Us too. It's depressing. So trying to stave off the sads, we put up, uh, well, last night we had a power outage, so we put up a bunch of Christmas lights a little early because it was the best way to illuminate the house. And we took down most of them, but there are some that are staying up because it just made Yeah, it just makes my heart happy. I'm all about it. Yeah. I'm into it. Um. Indeed. And with this beautiful holiday, you are going to share with us a story of white supremacy i am going to share with you a story of white supremacy and no it's not the story of america (laughs) Uh, (laughs) or the first thanksgiving yeah i mean although you know things do really come full circle in a lot of ways don't they this year is really all about whether or not you should enter people's homes to intentionally or not intentionally spread disease damn really so hot take but (laughs) and that's america (laughs) breaking into people's land
1: and spreading disease. And Turkey. And Turkey. Yeah. So today, I'm very excited to tell you this story. Um, I hope you put it on for your family and you <laughs> spark some wonderful discussion. Yes. Today, we're going to talk about the story of Benjamin Nathaniel Smith.
0: Interesting.
1: Who also went by the name August, and we're going to go into why. Okay. Our story starts out not too far from where I am right now. Really? Yes. Our story is going to first take us to Wilmette, Illinois.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Do you know anything about Wilmette? Not really. It's pretty suburban, right? But it's kind of like, it's excerpts though, isn't it? Like it's pretty far out.
1: It's pretty excerpts. It's very North Shore y. It's very bougie.
0: Yeah. I'm going to give you a few
1: demographics
0: to start off with. Ooh, you know, I love me some demographics. Lay it on me. I hope that our listeners love demographics as much
1: as we do. I know, because they're awesome. Yeah, and they're not going to stop getting them. Right. So, Wellmet is a town of 27,000 people mm-hmm. with a mean household income of about 154000 a year. Holy shit. And a mean property value of 680000 Wow, that I did not really know. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's a pretty bougie suburb. Like, I yeah. bet
0: they have, <laughs> they have a lacrosse team. I'm sure they have a couple lacrosse teams. They might even have, like, polo teams. Ooh. Yeah. You got to you gotta think big. Think.
1: Big. My hometown got a lacrosse team, and we were, like, pinkies in oh the air. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> <boring. laughs> I was long gone by the time we got a lacrosse team. But back to Wilmette, It's also eighty-five mm. percent white. Okay. And I'm going to contrast this with two other places that we're going to visit, mm. just to kind of give you a little bit of a lay of the
0: land. Gotcha. So Skokie,
1: Illinois. Ah,
0: uh, Skokie. Mm.
1: I love Skokie, and with Rogers Park, Illinois, Elmer, home, love you, Rogers Park. Yeah, I love Rogers Park too. I lived oh. there during grad school, and it was the best. Yeah, good contrast already. Okay. Yeah. Um. So Skokie. In comparison to Well Met, has a median household income of seventy four thousand, okay, and a mean property value of three hundred eight thousand. Mm. It's about sixty percent white, and depending on who's counting, about thirty to sixty percent Jewish. Rogers Park has about a median income of thirty seven k, and it's a little bit harder to tell the property value because it's not a specific like suburb; it's just a neighborhood in Chicago. Yeah. Um, but the median property value is about two hundred, two hundred twenty k.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: And it's only about fifty percent white. Yeah. So those are a couple of the places we're going to visit. This story is going to take us actually across state lines
0: for a little mm-hmm. bit too. Doesn't Rogers Park have like the most languages spoken within like a square mile of anywhere in the country, or something like that?
1: I think it's something like that. Like, yeah, they have a. Re- ridiculous number of languages spoken it's a ridiculously diverse neighborhood yeah it's wonderful it's beautiful go there hang out oh it's such a wonderful place yeah i wish it wasn't so far away from everything yeah for sure it's incredibly inconvenient to
2: get to
0: it is but it's so awesome it was really annoying to drive out there though to see you but
1: we are going to start talking about this is a Terrible transition, so I'm going to edit it and make it sound beautiful. So Benjamin Smith was born on March 22nd, 1978. He grew up in Wilmette with his parents, who were pretty successful white-collar workers. Mm. His father was a doctor, and his mother sat on the village board of trustees. Oh. He was the oldest of three boys and attended a pretty prestigious high school, New Trier High School. Trier. One of those words my mouth doesn't want to say. But it's one of the top performing high schools in the state. He seemed to be a pretty typical student for the community.
2: Mm.
1: And kind of talking about, obviously, we're going to be talking about white supremacy. We're going to be talking about racism. So to give you an idea of generally his upbringing, nothing really specifically stands out. Mm. He claimed that there was no triggering events that caused him to become a racist, a white supremacist, but that he noticed feelings of hatred starting in about eighth grade. So he claimed in his writings for Indiana University newsletter where he attended college that his feelings of racism and hatred started in eighth grade Mm. in his history classes. Mm. Because basically learning facts about history makes you hate people. Um, but he puts the, quote, evils of slavery in scare quotes. Oh. So learning about the history of slavery and learning about the Holocaust, where he puts murder of six million Jews in scare quotes, too. Oh, boy. He feels that the history teaching that he received in middle school and high school was mind manipulation.
0: Wow. Yeah. As a teacher, that just... Okay.
1: Again, I'm going to repeat. He went to what is highly regarded as one of the top schools in the state. Yeah.
0: So I don't know if you have an answer to this, but I'm curious. Like, why did he have a platform at IU to make these writings in like a public capacity? He took it. Mm, Okay. so he was just kind of like writing like op-eds and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, basically. We'll go into it. But one of the interesting things that I didn't ever see in all of this research was a description of him as an academic Mm. so normally when we when you do research and you're looking at a at a specific person they'll tell you all of these qualities about a person they were an excellent athlete they were a bright and promising student especially Mm -hmm. kids from this like area yeah they're always described as a bright promising student right That wasn't in any of the research. Interesting. He was never described in that way.
0: So he was kind of like a wallpaper kind of kid, maybe. Like, just kind of not really a standout.
1: Very much kind of an ordinary kid. Hmm. Obviously, after the events that we're going to talk about, you know, people would try to interview classmates, family members, and things like that. There weren't a ton of people that said great things about him.
0: Yeah. Did they say, like, explicitly bad things about him, or just kinda nothing?
1: A couple of exes said explicitly bad things about him.
0: Ooh. Juicy. We're gonna get into that, right? Oh, oh, of course we are. Okay.
1: According to everything that I read, he didn't stand out to any teachers, to peers, anything. They all described him as pretty ordinary. Hmm. That said, I want to pause and talk about what passes as ordinary. Yes. In these types of communities. Yes. Because, like I said, the town I grew up, it was not this bougie, mm-hmm. but it was middle, upper, middle class, very white suburb. Yeah, yeah. And when I look back on the things that pass, as, quote, not racist, mm-hmm. or they didn't really mean that,
0: are right. really atrocious. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I didn't grow up in a place like either of these places. I grew up in Detroit, but um, as an educator in like a pretty diverse community, but one that is very segregated in a lot of ways, like even in a very contemporary context, in the past like nine years of my career, I can certainly think of times where. Students got away with saying things that were really, really incredibly out of line and racist. And it was kind of passed off like that, too. Like, oh, they didn't mean it that way. Or they're young. It's still, you know, they're still developing these types of things. And
1: oh, they didn't really understand what they were saying.
0: Yeah. Or they didn't mean to hurt
1: anyone, which is always, to me, what it always came down to. Yeah. Oh, they didn't mean anything
0: by it. Right. Now, at least in like my community, kids will call out other kids. And that's always, like, deeply satisfying as their teacher. You're, like, in the back, like, yeah, tell them, tell them, you know, but... That
1: wasn't happening in the
0: 90s. No, and it wasn't happening in communities like the ones you're talking about, right? Like, South Bend is pretty, fairly diverse, I would say, so it's happening in my buildings, but...
1: And what's interesting is he described the the history education that he got as being like mind manipulation. And what I recall from being a student in the 90s and in the early 2000s is I got a really whitewashed history.
0: Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. So
1: if he's saying that that whitewashed history that we all got.
0: Yeah. Was
1: mind manipulation. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes.
2: you Oof
1: but i think that kind of going back to that passing things off as passive racism and mild racist comments yeah things like that is why in some communities like this addressing racism is so hard yeah everyone is a promising student and they didn't mean anything like that yeah. and don't discipline them they'll do better next time right when you're in these upper crest schools you are given a
2: million chances
0: yeah yeah but you also have like little to no exposure to anyone that's going to make you think differently or that is different from you or looks different from you or comes from a different race or background than you so there's no there's no like empathetic reason to care if you're that good yeah
1: Yeah. so i just wanted to stop and pause and talk about that for a minute because Mm I think that when everybody says like, oh, we didn't know this, we never saw this side of him, that it was there. They just didn't recognize it.
0: And, you know, what's hard, too, is like it can be there and you can recognize it, but there's also not that much you can do about it a lot of the time.
1: Yeah. Even when you do notice stuff like that, it's not like you can always do something about it.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can't report a kid for giving you the creeps. I wish you could. I wish you could, because boy, do I have a few doozies, but. And maybe that might come into play here. Ooh. Tell me more.
1: I'm going to tell you more. Okay. Because he was not a complete wallflower. Mm. In high school, he had two battery charges. What? In Skokie, Illinois. Ah. So Skokie is, I probably would say,
0: about 30 minutes from Wilmette, 20 to 30 minutes. Okay. So he went to Skokie to get in trouble. You want to guess what his senior quote was? Oh boy, was it some like. I don't know. Was it. I don't know, you just tell me. I'm a bad guesser. Six Emperor Tyrannus. Oh, unpack that for our people.
1: Six Emperor Tyrannus is most often attributed to John Wilkes Booth after he shot Abraham Lincoln.
0: Yeah. It means, roughly translated, death to tyrants. That is so interesting. Yeah. I like that you thought I was going to guess that, though. I don't know.
1: I mean, okay. It's like a big, like, white supremacist thing. They all think that they're super
0: creative when they get it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway. That's so interesting, though. But to me, he's not, there's not no signs here, right? No, that's a pretty explicit one. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. After high school, Benjamin went on to college at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign.
2: Hmm? Ah, yeah, you
1: know so, that area. We know that area. Beautiful campus. Mm. It's a. I I have a U of I blanket actually right now. Aww. <laughs> Great school. It's an absolutely wonderful school. Yes. So we're in 1996 now. For anyone who doesn't know, if you're not from Illinois or the Midwest, U of I is a gigantic school.
0: Yeah, it's like your big, you know, every school or every state's got like their big state school, you know. And this is the big state school. It has 44,000 students. Wow. And yet they waitlisted me. What? Well, for grad school, they waitlisted me. Oh, their grad program is way, Yeah. is a little crazy. And then I had to just go to like rinky dinky Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. You got really screwed in that one. Yeah, I sure did. (laughs) (laughs) It has a beautiful campus,
1: yeah, but it is the epitome of a Big Ten school. It is, yeah, big time. It's also a school that hosts a ton of international students and promotes really diverse student involvement. Oh, no, he's not going to like that. No, so their population, their student population is only about 46% white. Wow. And hosts 11,000 international students.
0: That's amazing. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. As you alluded to, this is kind a big culture shock to benjamin Mm
1: -hmm. now we're gonna go into a little bit of my speculation okay 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 so noting this as speculation i think the culture shock was pretty unexpected for him really because again it's a big 10
0: school yeah
1: urbana champagne itself is not hugely diverse i think he was like oh i'm gonna go to this like cool big state school and Mm -hmm. everybody's gonna love me and i'm gonna stand out And again, I'll point to nobody ever pointed that he was like a super gifted student, that he was especially intelligent Mm. or especially like academically inclined. Yeah. And U of I does have a pretty high acceptance rate for undergrad.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Again, as a state school, that's just kind of a thing. How it is. Yeah. And reminding you that his high school gave him a lot of chances. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're not doing well in a school like that, you're going to get tutoring. You're going to get extra opportunities. You're going to get. Yeah. They're not going to let you fail. No. Because that reflects badly on them. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Exactly. But then you go to a big school like U of I where. You can be in a class of up to nine hundred people. Yeah, like their intro level classes can be up to eight nine hundred students, and even their like discussion courses and labs can be fifteen to thirty people. That's incredible. And if we sound shocked by that, it's because
0: the tiny little school that me and Tommy went to <laughs> had
1: classes of literally four
0: people. Yeah, and they th- were the best. My biggest class, I think, was my like um, remedial algebra class that I had to take. <laughs> And I want to say there were 30 people in it. And I think that... I know that was my biggest class.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think my intro bio class was 35 people. And that was the bar none biggest class, I took.
0: Yeah. It was such a perfect environment for us.
1: It was. And that's why we excelled so much. I know. The blossoming, wonderful people that we are. That's right. But again, he's thrust into this gigantic school, Mm -hmm. gigantic classes. And... I hate to be the person that's going to say this, but if you're failing the class of 900 people, your professor is not even going to notice. this. No, yeah, no. You're anonymous in these classes. They're not going to reach out and be like, "Hey, are you doing okay? Do you right. need Right. I've been worried or? about you. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. So there's just there's a part of me that thinks that he started to realize he wasn't special. Mm. And he started to have all of those feelings of insecurity. and what does white supremacy do other than make mediocre white people feel like they're the most important people in the world? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Again, it's like the psychologist in me that needs to know what got him to this very low point. Yeah,
0: well that it's it pushes him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it totally does. And it's a lot of the same mentality that goes into cults. Mm-hmm. And gangs and kind of other organizations that pull you in when you're at a low point specifically because they can right
1: yeah to That's be like works. I yeah to be like, I need validation, and yeah. I need people to think that I'm special mm-hmm. and again, I don't have any evidence that he was like failing classes or that he was you know falling apart at the seams, but I do think that it hit him hard to not be special, yeah. And to see all of these other students around him who might be very different from him and might actually be doing
0: really well. Yeah. Interesting. So what happened to him at U of I? Because he didn't last, did he?
1: No, he didn't last. It was during his freshman year, Benjamin found a flyer for a local church. Oh, okay.
0: Oh, oh.
1: (laughs) 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 I love that reaction. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> this got me into such an internet wormhole. I'm so excited. Okay, tell did me more.
1: Did you go down the wormhole too?
0: A little. I was trying to not wormhole too hard because I wanted to make sure it was your wormhole, you know, but I definitely... So he
1: found a flyer
0: out on his car for the World Church of the Creator. So let's join our wormholes. Tell me about the Church of the Creator.
1: The World Church of the Creator was founded as the Church of the Creator in 1973 by Ben Klassen. And is classified as a neo-Nazi hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center and the Anti-Defamation League. Wow. The term creator comes from Hitler. Uh. Hitler's belief that only white people are culture creators. That all other races and peoples are culture destroyers. Wow. Again, dumb, hella historically inaccurate. Insanely hateful and horrific. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Factually untrue. Horrific. Yeah. All right. They refute homosexuality, miscegenation, quote, whining and complaining and superstition. Jeez. This whole thing to me sounds like whining and complaining.
0: It totally does. Yeah.
1: They encourage hate speech and oppose the use of what they call polite terms. Mm. Basically anything that's not hate speech. Yeah. Yeah. They also, this is my favorite part, one of my favorite parts, they encourage fruitarianism. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) And what they call salubrious living.
0: Salubrious.
1: Basically, what this means is that you should only eat what falls off trees or would fall off trees.
0: Yes. So you can hurt people,
1: but don't pluck those baby vegetables until they're ready. That's right. Until they fall
0: off themselves for you to eat them. Exactly. You protect the baby tomatoes. It's so interesting because that like the fruitarian thing that was a, uh, in my youth, that was a, a fleeting fancy for me mm-hmm. and shocking, I'm sure to exactly zero listeners right now. <laughs> At this point, yeah, we get you. <laughs> um, and it was like all about the, like taking kind of the very extreme of like, do no harm, like you know, trees feel pain, you're not going to pluck the fruit, you got to wait for it to fall, yada yada. It's so interesting that that is part of this church that is so hateful because the entire point of the fruitarian little thing is like the utmost and do no harm Yeah. from their perspective, Uh, which I'm not a fruitarian.
1: Well, they don't believe that harming non-white people is harming people. Right. God. Gross. I'll throw this in there too, and our listeners by this point aren't gonna be surprised by me saying this. Nutritionists and dietitians discourage vegetarianism <laughs> on, a, on they an evidence based basis. Yes. Evidence based. Yes. Blah blah blah. Get diabetes from blood sugar spikes and eating too much fruit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's not a good idea. It's not no, a no it's a bad idea, guys. Yeah. Don't do it. A delicious um, idea, but a bad idea.
1: You need a variety of foods in your diet. Yes. Including beer and chocolate. Yes. I have one of those things. They also are very anti-drugs. Hmm. No drugs. Bad. Which Smith did not like and was not good at this one. Huh. And apparently they had a big feud about what music they should listen to. Hmm. When Matthew Hale, who we're going to talk a little bit more about, when he took over... He said, no, we're classy, we're classy neo-Nazis, and we should listen to only classical music. Really? But then the other guys were like, no, we're cool neo-Nazis, so we're only going to listen to metal music. <laughs> oh, boy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so who won, the cool guys or the classy guys? Uh, I don't know. What did Proud Boys listen to? Nothing classy.
1: I mean, neo-Nazis, like... Jordan Peterson, who doesn't claim to be a neo-Nazi, but totally is, mm. listens to classical music. Interesting. So I just thought that was another fun fact.
0: It is a good fun fact. So many fun facts.
1: Because honestly, everything else about them is so nondescript. It's like, yeah, we hate everybody but us.
0: Yeah, it's weird hills to die on. Like, But it's mm-hmm. a weird part of like, like, what's the purpose in defining an aesthetic? It's all about like defining as many borders around people's lives as you possibly can. This is the music you like. This is the diet that you like. This is, you know, it's all control, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, we all want to be identical. And if you're one of us, you have to be exactly like us. Yeah. They have this belief in like the 18 precepts and five fundamental beliefs. But basically what all of that boils down to is supporting racial holy war and racial loyalty. Ugh. And you do not show any
0: empathy or any sympathy for people that are non-white. That is disgusting. So he saw this flyer and he's like, this sounds like a home for me. Yep, exactly. Wow.
1: One other thing I wanted to touch on, and we'll get into it, well, I think it's important later. Mm. But they also believe in what they call the enemy toll effectiveness factor, or the E-T-E-F. This is basically the ratio of white supremacist lives lost compared to the number of total lives lost by each
0: violent act. Gotcha. hmm Ugh. Oh, gross. Oh, that's so terrible.
1: Yeah. So it basically boils down to they don't care if their own people die as long as they take more of the other people with them. Yeah. That's... Wow. They loved ancient Greece. And I know we talked about this kind yeah. of passing before. I why? don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. You know what? The ancient Greeks loved miscegenation.
0: They did. They loved <laughs> it so much. <laughs> they loved it so much.
1: So I don't get it, but they like they love the ancient Greeks so much that they changed their names.
0: Wow, did they really? And that
1: is why. Benjamin Nathaniel Smith changed his name to August for Augustus Smith.
0: Oh, gotcha. Okay.
1: He also thought Benjamin sounded too Jewish. Ugh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You guys can look up more, but I'm at this weird impasse of like I don't want to give these people more time and energy yeah but I want to cover this face and give you the background that you need to understand it yeah so yeah and like you said this all really spoke to little Benjamin slash Augustus he began attending
0: church services and we sh- when we say church we should be using some scare quotes around that because oh yeah good gracious yeah it's like a guy's basement yeah and this is not like a church where people are learning how to live their best lives in service to other people.
1: Oh, fuck no. Yeah. No. They're learning how to put down other people to make themselves feel better. Disgusting. But Benjamin ended up befriending church leader Matthew Hale. Mm. Or as he liked to be called, Pontifex Maximus.
0: Oh my. Oh my. Pontifex Maximus. <laughs> Is so interesting.
1: Matthew was in his early to mid-20s, and he first met Benjamin, and claimed himself to be leader of the Church of the Creator. Mm. Hale stated that his journey into being a white supremacist began at age 12 when he saw a black boy kiss a white girl. And he just felt immediate hatred, and he started his first hate group. Oh my god. Called the First Right wow this little sixth grade Pontifex maximus
0: just pontifics in all over the place
1: and he does this about a hundred times really he just claims that he's starting a new organization or group and it's like him gotcha yeah yeah it's Here. like when you're in third grade and you're like i'm starting my own club and you can't
0: be in it yeah and it's like who's in your club me
1: So in 1990, so we're traveling a little bit back, Matthew Hale was studying law at Bradley University, where, again, he starts creating clubs. He started the White Student Union, and later the American White Supremacist Party, and then the American Association for the, the Advancement of White People.
0: Ugh. Exactly nobody is holding you back. He described KKK leader
1: David Duke as, quote, the greatest politician this country may have ever seen.
0: Oh, my God. I'm going to barf. Keep a bucket by you, hon. I should. In
1: 1991, he was fined for littering after dumping racist pamphlets at a mall. Wow. Okay. So there are quite a few littering charges in this case. Hmm. And I was curious, so he went down another rabbit hole, found out that. If you're handing out something like white supremacist literature, the police can't charge you with anything like intimidation or anything like that because you're apparently not targeting anyone specific enough. Right. So all they can do is hand out fines for littering and discourage it.
0: Mm. Just smart use of law as it
1: exists. I wish you could do more, but... Mm -hmm. Later in 1991, he was arrested with his brother for threatening three black men with a gun. Mm. Sadly, they won their appeal on that case. Oh, really? Um, because one of the men had a baseball bat and something, something, mob act, they accused him of mob action ah. and the charges against Hale and his brother were dropped.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Okay.
1: <sighs> In 1992, he dubbed himself the national leader of the National Socialist White American Party. Oh, God. Um, Pretty sure he was the only member. Yeah. He also got charged with criminal trespass, resisting arrest and aggravated battery. Oh, and carrying a concealed weapon after attacking a security officer at a mall. Wow. He got 30 months intensive probation and six month house arrest for that. Hmm. Dang,
0: In, man, he's got a serious history.
1: Oh, he's got a serious... It doesn't stop. We're not stopping. Mm, all right. In all right. 1995, at age 23, Hale ran under the White Supremacist Party for the East Peoria City Council.
0: Nuh-uh.
1: And he got 14% of the vote.
0: Nah. uh Do better, Peoria. Yeah, seriously.
1: It was after he lost this election that he took up the reins at the Church of the Creator and renamed it by adding world to the
0: beginning so that's how it became world church of the creator interesting okay so he's got this big like grandiosity complex for sure he
1: loves naming himself
0: things yeah
1: at the time that he took over it was a very small group so small in fact that the anti-defamation league dropped their investigations into them as a hate group because they had so few members they weren't worth tracking
0: Mm. that must have felt very insulting to them
1: How dare you not let us be a hate
0: group? I know. Tarnation. In 1997,
1: as the leader of the church, he married a 16-year-old church member. Nuh-uh. Yep. She left him within six months.
0: Good for you, girl.
1: And several other church members left
0: with her. Interesting.
1: Another former girlfriend was granted an order of protection due to his physical abuse. Wow. So not only are they white supremacists, but they're also abusers, yeah. Abusive as fuck. Jeez. Now we're gonna get to uh, his dating profile. Oh, good. In 1998, after these failed relationships and charges of abuse and breaking up a church because he married a 16-year-old, mm-hmm. he found himself on an Aryan dating page.
0: Oh, for fuck's sake!
1: I'm gonna read his profile. Oh God. He described himself as five foot nine, 140 Lies. pounds. It's always which is a tiny. tiny, tiny.
0: 145 pounds
1: 140 pounds
0: oh he's a little guy
1: he's a little boy Mm -hmm. i bet he is also like five six
0: yeah it's always the height always take off two inches
1: 5.9 140 pounds classical violinist Mm. handsome man oh my he said he was looking for quote an open-minded white woman who loves her her race. race oh boy He's looking for a young, attractive, positive, dependable, creative, intelligent, open-minded white woman who could help him propagate the white race by making white babies.
0: Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Open-minded, though. Like, that's really important, obviously. It's really important to him. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: During this whole time, he's also trying to be a lawyer because he thought he had a good sense of justice.
0: Oh, geez. I don't think that he probably did.
1: I don't think he did. Just going out on the limb
0: here, but I just don't think he probably did. The Illinois Bar Association agreed with you. All right. Mm, Buddies.
1: And yet all of this really appealed to little Benjamin Augustus. I'm sure it did. Yeah. I mean, he wanted to be a part of this group. Yeah. Because it gave him like this ready-made set of values and identity, a ready-made set of friends, extreme validation that he was a very good boy. Yeah. He got really ingrained really quickly. Mm-hmm. His roommate at uh, University of Illinois stated that Smith started reading Mein Kampf and saying that Hitler had some good ideas. Oh, boy. And then Benjamin started passing out flyers on campus, which obviously garnered immediate negative attention. hmm But it wasn't that that got him at tr- in trouble at U of I. He started having conflicts with campus security, mm. mostly drug-related and drinking-related. Ah. He ended up dropping out in 1998 hmm. after being suspended for drug possession and domestic violence. Wow. Both physical and emotional abuse, charges from a former girlfriend who later described him as, quote, incredibly violent. Wow. That's scary. Yeah. So obviously, rather than seeking help or changing his behavior and facing consequences, he decided to transfer to Indiana University. Hmm where he majored in criminal justice. Oh, no. Because he wanted to be a lawyer just like his hero,
2: Matthew Hale. Oh, no.
1: He quickly developed a reputation for passing out hate-filled, anti-Semitic, anti-Black, anti-Asian flyers across campus. Wow. He also, this was when he started writing for the university paper under the name August or Augustus Smith.
0: And IU is not going to, IU Bloomington, the big campus, Mm -hmm. down in the south part of the state here, Mm -hmm. Um, is going to have a likewise very diverse community. It's not as big as U of I, but it's still quite large. Yeah. Uh, And Bloomington, the town it's in, is kind of like this little diverse oasis in rural southern Indiana. So it's not Mm -hmm. like he's moving to a place that is any less diverse or any less progressive.
1: You know, it's interesting to me these choices because there are obviously much more insular colleges you could attend
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and places that you could live yet he puts himself in these ones
0: yeah that's interesting because
2: mm-hmm.
0: there's still a note of prestige there like IU Bloomington yeah. you know when my kids get acceptances to that it's like holy shit, you know look good yeah. you know yeah. deal so
1: um but it's also a big enough campus that you can be passing out white supremacist flyers on one end of campus. Yeah. And people don't know right any of that on the other end of campus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. And apparently... That's what he would do in his classes. Mm. So Smith is a common enough last name. Yeah. That he could write these semi-anonymous letters in the newspaper mm. and then go to class and act like he had no idea what it was what it was. Yeah,
0: that makes total sense.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because his writings were obviously causing a stir. They were a mm. part of his discussions he's in these criminal justice classes, but he wouldn't own up to he wouldn't own up to writing them. That's so interesting. Neighbors in the apartment building where he lived said that he didn't raise any red flags to them mm. and they didn't know him to be violent. Hmm. And he seemed to have pretty diverse neighbors in Bloomington, which only leads me to believe that he just knew when to keep him, when to keep his mouth
0: shut. Yeah. yeah, that's how I would take that too. One of
1: his neighbors, kind of after the shootings described him as kind of saying, he didn't seem to be violent, just quote angry at the world.
0: Mm, interesting.
1: But again, multiple girlfriends would talk about his violence and aggression.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. So something he saved for private spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
1: again, why we really need to take domestic violence more seriously. Yes. And intervene on it. More oh readily. my God. Yes. When asked about Benjamin after the shooting that we're about to get into, I used former dean of students, Richard mcheg was asked about Benjamin mm. and did admit to having run-ins with him. Hmm. Dean mcheg said, quote, he was a very common type of student, nothing disturbing or unusual about him at the time. Mm. He wasn't confrontational in any way. He just said, I'm passing out flyers. This is America. Wow. But obviously, McKegg got some pushback from that. Cause they're like, yeah. no, there were more red flags about this guy. Yeah. And so they asked him about, well, what about the domestic violence charges? Mm. What about, like, the drug charges? McKegg again said he's never, he wasn't known to individually harass anybody. And then went on to say, admissions doesn't screen values. A lot of people question that from the university, but
0: there's not a lot we can do. I have a question Mm -hmm. about something that you talked about in his past, before college at uh, U of I, Mm -hmm. that he already had two battery charges. Did he get those in high school? Yeah, that's what it looks like. Okay, do we know what happened there?
1: No, I couldn't find too much information about it, and because I'm guessing he was a minor, that there's just not much.
0: Yeah, I'm sure.
1: It was just included in a lot of kind of postmortems about him.
0: Yeah, so maybe it was similar to the type of things he was doing in college yeah Yeah.
1: it sounds like i don't know in high school you're a little bit more impulsive Mm -hmm. and as he got older into into college he realized oh there are some consequences to this i need to hide it a little bit more
0: yeah it doesn't seem like there were ever many consequences to his domestic violence man there's never enough yeah never enough
1: oh he also got sanctioned by iu security for peeking into a girl's window ew uh class act here yeah but he continued to blame the fact that he wasn't successful in college on the increasingly diverse student population.
0: Good lord. I hate this yeah. guy so much.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that uh, he probably wasn't loved by faculty, probably, probably wasn't not. getting a ton of opportunities, internships, anything like that. Mm. I hate him. <sighs> he did make an appearance on the local PBS station. Really? Yeah. Why for? He's, he's talking about white supremacy. Good <laughs> lord. Under the name of August Smith. Wow. Oh, and he also got a chest
0: tattoo. Oh, of course he did. That said Sabbath Breaker because he's a fucking edgelord. Oh my gosh. Fantastic. (sighs)
1: So, as Smith became more and more ingrained into the church and more heavily involved in their actions and services in the months leading up to the shooting... It was eventually found out that Smith spent upwards of six thousand dollars of his money printing pamphlets for the church. Wow. Yeah. Just to hand out around campus and get littering fines.
0: I'm very curious about his family, like his parents.
1: They have done their damnedest to stay out of everything.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. They
1: made they've made two
0: public statements. Mm. And they were probably pretty
1: bare bones. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Smith became closer and closer to Hale. Smith was named Creator of the Month Hmm. in October 1998 by the church, and Creator of the Year in January 1999. My goodness, he is just working up the
2: ranks. Yeah.
1: Well, in a church of three people. Yeah.
0: (laughs) The third guy is like, "What about me, man? What about me? Can I be vice creator?" (laughs) Seriously.
1: (laughs) Hale said he encouraged all of his followers to view Smith's activism as an example to follow.
0: Good night. And
1: Smith continued his annoying activism um, in Skokie and the surrounding areas of North Shores of Chicago. Hmm. Um, he also began stacking up arrests for drinking. Dang. In June of 1999, he was arrested in Wilmette for driving under the influence. Hmm. Um, and actually his court case was scheduled for after the spree shooting that we're about to get into.
0: Wow. Okay. So did he graduate from IU?
1: Or... No. Okay. No. He was 21 um, at the time of the shooting.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: So now I'm going to bring us into the week leading up to the shooting. Okay. I'm going to circle back around to this at the end because in no way does this minimize the actions of Smith.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: He is fully responsible and completely repugnant. But I also feel like he was such a tool of Matthew Hale. Yeah, that's interesting. Hale recognized exactly how much he could manipulate this kid Mm -hmm. and just made him his pawn.
0: Yeah, and Hale's been like struggling this whole time trying to figure out like, how do I make a name for myself? How do I, you know, advance Mm -hmm. this like disgusting repugnant mission? And he sees somebody like uh, Benjamin as a a vehicle, basically. Exactly. Exactly.
1: So in the week leading up to July 4th, 1999, as I mentioned, Hale really wanted to be a lawyer because he thought he had a good sense of justice. Mm. And as I also mentioned, the Illinois Bar Association did not agree. Hale received a letter from the state bar rejecting his application to practice law. Mm. The panel responsible for evaluating the character and fitness of prospective lawyers stated that Hale's incitements of racial hatred for the purpose of depriving selected groups of their legal rights was blatantly immoral and rendered him unfit to be a lawyer. Yes. So let's give a little clappy clap for the Illinois State Bar's decision. Good job,
0: Illinois Bar.
1: Hale was obviously incensed by this, Mm. and so was Smith. My goodness. Seeing it as just another way that white people were being oppressed. Oh, boy. Over the next few days, they spoke quite a few times over the phone. We have phone records to show this. Mm. Hale said that Smith was, quote, very passionate about me getting my law license. Mm. And we don't know much about what they talked about, but we know that this was really when things were set in motion. Gotcha. Smith was in the North Shore area. Um, So the North Shore area of Chicago is just a collection of pretty affluent suburbs. Mm -hmm. So North Shore, Wilmette, and a couple of other ones up there. Smith was in the North Shore area where his family had moved shortly after he graduated high school. Mm. Smith first attempted to buy guns from a licensed gun dealer, but was turned away because they required a full background check and waiting period. Mm. Um, They required a 24-hour waiting period for long guns and 72 for handguns. Gotcha. Currently, you have to wait 72 hours for all guns. Oh, okay. As of 2019, yeah. Mm. He ended up getting guns from an unlicensed dealer Mm. because that's really fucking easy. What they do, yeah. Yep. We have records that Smith and Hale spoke 13 hours before the shooting. Okay. And then 28 minutes before the shooting. Mm. On the evening of Friday, July 2nd, 1999. Okay. That night, around 8 p.m., Benjamin Smith climbed into his light blue Ford Taurus and drove to the West Rogers Park neighborhood of Chicago. No. Yeah. So anyone from the Chicago area knows that this neighborhood is known for its large Jewish population. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He waited outside an Orthodox Jewish synagogue for Friday services to let out. At 8.23, he began firing shots into the crowd of young men. Oh, my God where he shot one teenage boy and five adult men. Luckily, all of them survived this shooting. Wow, that's amazing. Um, Yeah. Ephraim Wolf, the 15-year-old boy who was shot in the leg, he was shot immediately fell over. He saw a Ford Taurus turn around and thought that the car was continuing back in the attack. Oh, wow. And just thought that he was immediately going to die and began praying. Oh, baby. Luckily, that Ford Taurus was actually a police vehicle. Oh. Benjamin Smith had continued up, down the road fleeing. Oh my god. But the community immediately knew that this was an anti-Semitic attack. Yeah. And this was not the first one, unfortunately, in the West Rogers neighborhood. No, I'm sure it wasn't. Smith sped away, and the ensuing chaos drove to nearby Skokie. Mm where he saw a black man jogging with his two young children. Oh no. The man jogging was Ricky Birdsong. Mm. I don't know if any if that name rings a bell for anyone. He was the former coach at Northwestern University. Oh, um, the men's basketball coach. He was the first black coach in the program's history and led the Northwestern team to their first postseason appearance ever. Wow. His children were 8 and 10 at the time. They were out exercising with their dad. (sighs) Ricky was shot and killed in front of his children. Oh, my God. A neighbor saw what happened immediately and called for help, but Ricky died later that evening at the hospital. Oh, that's
0: so awful.
1: At 9.20 p.m. near Northbrook, Illinois, he shot an Asian couple. Luckily, they were unharmed.
2: Mm.
1: And I don't know what he did the rest of the night.
0: Wow. So he literally was just like... neighborhood to neighborhood. Yeah, just waiting to see anybody who wasn't white to to fire at. That's so ugly. God. And his spree continued the next morning. Oh my gosh.
1: At 11 a.m. on July 3rd, he shot at three black men leaving church in Decatur, Illinois. So he went south. Yeah, where's Decatur? It's southwest. It's by Springfield. So he drove pretty far out.
0: Wow, that is a distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so past Champagne, though, so familiar territory for him. Yeah. Yeah.
1: One of the men in the church was wounded, but they all survived. Oh, good. At 11.30 a.m., he shot six men of Asian descent near the University of Illinois in Urbana. Mm. Again, one was wounded, but they all survived. And then once again, I don't know what happened the rest of that day.
0: Wow. Is there any sense of the police pursuit at this point?
1: The police have the car, make, and model, and license. Mm-hmm. There is an alert out to look for him. Mm-hmm. But we do know that he changed cars at least once. I was just going to ask that. Did
0: it was he driving the tourist the whole time?
1: Yeah. Okay. No. Because then on Sunday, July fourth, he moved on to Bloomington mm. at 11 a.m. He shoots into a crowd of parishioners at a Korean Methodist church, killing the 26-year-old Won Jun Yoon. Oh no. Won Jun was a PhD student in economics. He was just an incredibly bright, very involved student, very caring student. He had only recently moved to Bloomington a few weeks prior after completing a bachelor's and master's degree at Southern Illinois University. Oh wow. At 8.50 p.m., he steals a car at gunpoint. What? From a woman and a child. The husband father was in the gas station. Luckily, he left the family unharmed. So, I want this, you to be able
0: to just kind of continue, but I also need to process for a minute. He's so on a three-day shooting rampage. Injured at least seven people and killed two. Yeah, and he's shot at dozens, mm-hmm. like literal dozens of people. Yeah, and he's not stopping. Like he's slowing down for the night, so he's going to bed. But he like wakes up the next day, and then and where is he sleeping? Yeah, that's where a good is he question. going? Because if he's sleeping in his car, you would think that that would arouse some suspicion. But we don't. I assume we don't have like hotel records or not that I found. So I'm sure you're going to get there. Is Hale, do we know him to be a co-conspirator or do we just know that they had contact?
1: We only know that they had contact. Okay. He denied being a co-conspirator, but he also, we'll, we'll talk about it a bit more, but he tried to play both sides. Gotcha. So let me finish up Yeah. this part of our story, but and then we'll talk more about Hale's role in all of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're on July 4th, 1999. At 8.50 p.m., like I said, Smith goes to steal the car at gunpoint. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Luckily, like I said, he left the family unharmed. Smith begins to travel back toward Illinois. Mm. When he hit Salem, Illinois, his car was seen by deputies Todd Garden and David Hiltabidal, who said they followed the van for five miles before attempting to stop it.
2: Okay.
1: Now, it's unclear in the records that I read if the police were looking for this specific van or if they just felt suspicion or if there was erratic driving or something like
0: yeah, that. Yeah, speeding or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: They turned on their lights, alerting to the car to pull over. But when the car failed to pull over, a chase ensued. Mm-hmm. It appears that during the chase, Smith fired two shots at himself. Oh. In attempted suicide. Wow. Police were not aware of this at the time of the chase. They just saw the car kind of jerking and driving erratically.
2: Mm.
1: The vehicle Smith was driving swerved and hit a metal pipe on the side of the road, immobilizing the car.
2: Mm.
1: Officer Hiltabedal approached the car with his gun drawn, moving toward the passenger door. Smith had already had blood covering his neck and his shirt from what they would later discover were the self-inflicted wounds. Mm. Smith reached for a duffel bag because he was still alive. Reached for a duffel bag on the floor by the passenger seat and a scuffle ensued. Hiltabiddall pushed Smith into the space between the two front seats and heard two shots from a small caliber weapon. Hiltabiddall stated he did not see a gun in the car and did not touch his weapon. Mm. Smith was rushed to Salem Hospital where his heartbeat was restored twice, but he continued to lose consciousness, and after 40 minutes of attempted resuscitation, was declared dead. Wow. The cause of death was identified as the gunshot wound to the chest. Initially, the coroner stated that they couldn't tell if it was an accident or intentional. Eventually, it was ruled suicide as cause of death. Gotcha. Jeez. So. Now, when later interviewed, Garden and Hiltabedal stated that they did not know that this was the shooter. Wow. They said, we knew this guy was out there, but we weren't aware that this was him. Wow.
0: And that's how this spree ended. That's, I have a lot of feelings right now. Tell me. Well, process. yeah, I need to process that a little bit. I think when we hear things like this and it ends that way, there's almost this feeling of like, really? Like, Mm -hmm. we're not going to get to pursue justice. We're not going to, you know, see those things, you know, kind of come to what we like know or think of as closure, right? Mm -hmm. Like in that sense. So it almost feels like anticlimactic in a way, like, because it deprives you of the story that you want, right? Like you want to see the justice system unfold and do the right thing you want to see you know survivors have their day in court you want to see those things and Mm -hmm. and so this just kind of like it it deprives the that you know happening but it's also like a loss of life and that's always something to be you know sad about and but remember what I mentioned before the ETEF yeah oh yeah yeah so if he really but, yeah, believed in that, win. yeah, yeah. And he probably really did believe in that. So it was like, you know, he took the ratio. He was successful in the end in his own worldview. Exactly. Wow. I mean, what a disgusting piece of shit person
2: mm-hmm.
0: that I hate so much. Yeah. And that, like, I guess when you put it that way with that ETF, like, it makes it so so inhumane like this is just numbers he's like rattling off in his you know in his head like he's making ticks in his dashboard every time he shoots somebody like mm-hmm.
2: it's
1: that to just him it's to him and to his whole community
0: it's not people it's,
1: yeah yeah it's two to one so we won this round yeah like isn't that just a disgusting way to
0: think about it it's a it's a completely disgusting way to think about it it's a disgusting way to live It's disappointing on, like, a humanitarian level to know that that exists in this world. Honestly, you know. Yeah. And that it exists this close to home is just, like... You know, we all know that to be true, but...
2: Yeah.
1: And again, like, this is... This is one case that I picked out... Yeah. ...for us to cover. There's thousands.
0: Oh, yeah, there are. I mean... Thousands, and you know we have in many ways like an environment culturally that makes it safe to be racist mm-hmm. and then you know you mix that with somebody like Benjamin and that's what happens like it breeds violence and it breeds it breeds like this complete lack of humanity
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it it's just so interesting to me you know i'm sure i'll get pushed back saying, you know, not to humanize or not to empathize, but these are just sad, insecure little boys Mm.
0: at the end of the day, right? I don't know. That are rageful. Yeah. And dangerous. Yeah. I mean, really what that's about, like, when you put it that way, it's about, like, hypertoxic masculinity, right? Like, it's about male fragility and... I mean, I think, like, the, the scary thing and the problem is that we have a society and a system that provides an avenue for people like that to find a home base and, and to be able to, like, rain their terror down, you know? And that's gives you every reason to be angry at a system but leaves you kind of, like, not sure how to feel about an individual like yeah. Jim and Smith, right? Like, yeah. you know, so how do you rage at the machine, you know? <laughs> But, like, what do you do with your conception of that person, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, I'm, I'm having a hard time feeling empathy, you know? Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah. and I'm, I'm sure we're not going to have a whole lot of listeners who are out there thinking, like, wow, I just feel so bad for him. Yeah. Um, and I don't think you should. Yeah.
1: Like, necessarily. I, I, I literally went through 12 years of school. To, ha- to force myself to feel empathy for everyone. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: like, this is not a natural state. <laughs> yeah. That I have. Yeah, you're basically a sociopath.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a reverse sociopath. Thank you. You are not. Oh, you're a beautiful soul. Uh,
1: but uh, I want to get back into this.
0: Yeah. Go. Sorry my rants are, like, so disorganized. I'm just, like, kind of reeling a little bit.
1: This is why I wanted to cover this case. Yeah. So... After all of this happened, Matthew Hale loved it. Mm. Loved it. He got so much attention after this case. Yeah. He took every damn interview that he could. Wow. Every TV appearance, every magazine interview. And he presented himself as this, like, hyper-intellectual, better-than-you, I-play-classical-violin kind of thing. But, in reality, he was an unemployed Illinois bar reject who lived in his dad's basement.
0: That's right, pontifics.
1: His, quote, national headquarters
0: was the spare room of his dad's house. Jeez. Do better, Mr. Hale. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Kick his ass out.
1: <laughs> he claimed thousands of church members when in reality it was about 150 people scattered across the country. Wow. But he also wanted to have it both ways. He initially tried to say that Smith had nothing to do with the church, that he only met Smith once several years ago, and that they weren't close. Interesting. I think that he saw how much attention he could get and then kind of started to change his story. Mm. So then he started saying, well, Smith was in the church, but he lost interest. That Smith stopped paying dues, that his membership had lapsed. Hmm. He told one station that he didn't know Smith. Then he told another station that he did know Smith, that he had seen him earlier that week. And then eventually said that Smith had officially resigned from the church and produced a letter postmark the day that the spree started. What? Yeah. <sighs> Apparently, this letter, dated the night of the spree, said that he was formally breaking with the World Church of their Creator because he could no longer abide by Hale's nonviolence.
0: What? Convenient, right? Yeah, very convenient. Very convenient.
1: Okay. Also, in this really kind of smarmy way, he knew that Smith being a shooter was going to bring people into the church. Yeah. Because that's how gross people respond to things.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was just looking him up real quick, and you see lots of pictures of him with like groups of people and out at marches and gatherings and stuff. So clearly he found some traction as yeah. a result of this.
1: So in all of these interviews, he didn't hesitate to promote the church. Wow. He started kind of internally espousing Smith as a martyr for free speech. Oh, geez. And used these interviews as a recruitment tool, basically. God. When asked in interviews if they felt bad for the families of the victims, they would say no, because they only had sympathy for victims
0: of their own race. Ugh. I hate these people so much. Like, I just need listeners to understand how much just disgust that yeah I'm feeling right now that I'm sure they are as well. Like, mm-hmm. just am I, like, my skin's crawling just hearing all this, honestly.
1: Do you want a little bit of, like, positivity? Yes. Matthew Hale is currently serving a 40-year prison sentence. Oh, good. What are For you? encouraging an FBI informant to kill a federal judge, oh. Judge Joan Lefkow, in 2005. Oh, that guy. Yep. Yep, that guy. He is in oh, prison. Oh, shit.
0: Okay. Well, good. Mm-hmm. I'm glad his, he's in prison.
1: His projected release date is 2037.
0: Oh, that's not that far away.
1: He'll be 61.
0: Mm, that's pretty youthful.
1: <laughs> and prison doesn't seem to have changed him very much. Mm. In 2017, from prison, from his jail cell, he announced his endorsement of Warren Moore for Senate. Oh gosh. Fucking winners. Every yeah. last one of them. Fucking yeah. winners.
0: Yeah. Ugh. If you're listening out there because you love attention so much, Matthew Hale, we hate you. We hate you. You suck. Sorry, sad boy. Yeah. And you're ugly. Yeah. He, he, is. he is. Yeah, get on top of that skincare, please. Jesus. Mm. Sorry about it. <laughs> I'm playing a very tiny violin for you. It's classical, though.
1: Mine's new age. I'm playing a new age electric violin. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually playing a theremin in your honor.
0: Yes, yes, yes,
1: yes, yes. So fuck you. The Smith family has rarely spoken publicly about the case or about their son in general. It was nearly two months after the re- after the shooting that they finally released a statement. Oh wow! They said, "quote We deeply regret all the suffering to the families and the victims in the recent events that ended in the suicide of Benjamin Smith. Mm. We did not share or understand the beliefs our son adopted near the end of his life. It was very painful to first lose him to a viewpoint we found abhorrent, and then lose him in such a horrible and final way." Wow. Our example to Benjamin was that of parents who had friends from diverse racial and religious groups. We believe in helping others, not hurting them. By the time these terrible events occurred, Benjamin had se- had severed all ties with family members, was living apart from us, and we had been unable to contact him for two months.
0: Wow. What
1: do you think about that?
0: I think um, if it's true, then it's pretty damning. Mm -hmm. honestly like I feel like the words of that if they're true are strong and um speak to like a real separation between that family and their black sheep son what's interesting about it is like the other tack you could take is like it's sad that there's that like defensive moment of like we had diverse friends we Mm -hmm. you know we set an example this isn't on us you know that's the part
1: that kind of gave me a little bit of a twinge, yeah,, you know, we had diverse friends and
0: right. so like we had no hand in this, and he's responsible for his own actions. Of you know you just have to wonder like what what happened, you know, you want to know. I mean, I think, like, his dad was a doctor, right? And his mom was, like, a politician. So the medical field is fairly diverse, especially in Illinois. Oh, yeah. So, like, it does stand to reason that his parents would have diverse friends. But Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you hear that, like, excuse, like, I'm not racist. My best friend is black, right? Like, it feels a little bit like that.
1: That's what that sentence kind of felt like to me. Yeah. And I don't, again, I don't know what their intention was. I don't know their genuineness in this i think that a lot of people felt that it was a little too little too
0: late yeah yeah it's interesting like that they didn't it it sounded very like i guess it was sounded very chilly to me too like it was very detached yeah and and no no part of that was grieving their son which i think is interesting too like it didn't Mm -hmm. like they first talked about losing him to ideology you know and Mm -hmm. And that that is, like, kind of treated on the same level linguistically as losing him his actual life, you know? Yeah. That's really interesting, too, because they level those two things. It doesn't sound like one is kind of, like, a worse grief than the other. So yeah. there is this, like, detachment to it that I think is kind of... that makes me kind of believe it. I don't like the whole idea of, like, throwing out who your friends are as an excuse for why you're not involved. But I do wonder if it was, like, fairly sincere... Because that coldness, for some reason, makes it feel sincere to me.
1: It's interesting, because obviously, like, everybody grieves differently. And I can understand the community being a little irritated that it took two months for them to respond. I can also understand that it takes a while for a family to process and digest what their son did.
0: Yeah, and I think in a situation like that, to, to also then, like, craft a response that is going to be socially acceptable too right exactly they couldn't come out and say the day after like we're so sad about our son we miss him so much Mm -hmm. you know that would be like so dismissive you know so you you understand why they didn't do that you know Yeah. yeah yeah no it's interesting and like everyone grieves differently and then you add the layer to it of grieving publicly right and that just adds like such a wild card to it
1: I, just, I don't know if
0: there was ever a way that they could have responded positively, like a way that people would have accepted. Yeah, and I almost feel like deep diving into the response is interesting, but like critiquing the response feels like a shift in responsibility that isn't appropriate too, right? Because I could, I could imagine a lot of pushback to that response, and the question that I have is like, what's their responsibility though, really, like in this context?
1: Interesting, because we're going to... I'm going to push a little bit deeper on that one. Really? Because do you remember the 15 year old Ephraim Wolf? I do, yeah. Okay. His family sued both Matthew Hale and the Smith family. Interesting. Okay. They sued Hale for encouraging violence. Okay. And they sued the Smith family for, I'm going to quote what he said here, they had a duty to attempt to raise their child to not believe in killing people due to their race, religion, and or national origin.
0: Oh, that's so interesting.
1: Now, this was when the Smiths finally countered and made that second kind of public statement. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically kind of saying Benjamin was an adult. They were not present at the time of the injuries and they had no opportunity to intervene. Mm. they responded by saying we tried to think of what we could have done differently but like parents of other good children who become criminal, alcoholic, or drug
0: addicted or mentally ill, we found no answer we were loving parents to Benjamin wow I can't imagine and I want to think that Ephraim's family won that lawsuit but I can't imagine they did the lawsuit
1: didn't really seem to go anywhere. And I don't yeah. think that they believe that it would have. Yeah. It's it was more a gesture those... of making it. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. And so, like, I think they're, the gesture towards that is absolutely justified. Oh, yeah. You know, from a legal perspective, it was never going to go anywhere. But then you do have that, like, oh, I talk about this with my students all the time, because when we have, like, characters that do bad things, we always kind of dive into, like, especially, like, young people. Because a lot of times teenagers will say... Well, their mom should have raised them better than that. When we read Beowulf, actually, so my kids were like <laughs> <laughs> digesting. Beowulf's
1: mom should have done better.
0: <laughs> I know that's what they were like. They were like because I bef- before Grendel's mother like killed anybody. I paused and I had the kids think about okay, Grendel's, you know, Grendel's mother is out there grieving. How should we feel towards her? And the overwhelming response was yeah, it was like she raised a monster. She raised him to do this. She raised him to do this. And that, you know, in that text, obviously, it turned out to be true. But yeah, so it's like I I, that question of parental responsibility, like if my kid grows up and does something horrible. But I raised her to the best of my ability and something about her just wasn't right. Yeah. Do I bear that responsibility as her mother? Like that doesn't seem fair, you know, or appropriate, but. You also have to wonder, like, where do the seeds of hateful ideology come from? You know, how could a 13 year old come to that kind of on their own or a high school kid? Or I think that that's where where I kind of mentioned in the beginning
1: in these in a lot of these communities. And again, I grew up in them, too. Small things get passed off as completely normal microaggressions are not
2: questioned.
1: No. Yeah, whatsoever. Sure. So when you let those microaggressions build and build and grow, mm-hmm. I just think it's it's incumbent upon us as white people from these communities to really critique ourselves. Absolutely. And really critique the interactions
0: that we have with each other and with children and, yeah. Because yeah. it's really, I mean, I think in a lot of cases, like it's the interactions between white people that – provide permission right like yeah. implicit permission for this kind of stuff to blossom right is this my white guilt episode <laughs> <laughs> probably <laughs> oh I don't know what episode it is it's a it's a whirlwind of craziness I just like wow it just makes you think you know you do your best to be a good ally you know fighting to know that like, This happened, it feels like a failing on all of us. I don't think that, I guess what I'm saying in many ways is I don't think Benjamin Smith's mother is any more culpable for this than the entirety of American white supremacy, right? Like, this is, you know, whether we like it or not, the battleground for him was created long before he got here to do what he did. Yeah. You know?
1: You want to talk about Janet Reno?
0: Uh, Always. (laughs) There's no segue into that. (laughs) (laughs) Real Janet Reno or Janet Reno as portrayed on SNL? Because that's my preferred one.
1: That's the only Janet Reno I accept is Janet Reno's
0: dance party. Glorious. Okay, then I'm, I'm with it. I'm here for it. Jandarina was obviously the
1: Secretary of State at the time. Mm. She requested a Justice Department investigation into the World Church of the Creator, and they were eventually labeled by the state as a hate group. Good. As of today, they're pretty loosely organized. Mm. They lost a lot of membership. But when I say they lost a lot of membership, what that means is they have devolved into things like the Proud Boys, the Boogaloo Boys, that sort of
0: thing. So they have membership now to lose, which they didn't really have when Benjamin Smith did his crime. Yeah.
1: So I want to talk just a little bit as we wrap up about kind of how this affected different communities. Are we um, done with Janet Reno? Janet Reno attended Wan Jun Yoon's memorial service. Oh, good. Along with thousands of other mourners. She did not speak. Mm. To my knowledge,
0: (laughs) tended to be a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, tended to be a good thing.
1: There were obviously tons of more memorials in these locations. I'll talk about the the Korean Methodist Church and what happened in Skokie with Ricky, but what I thought was kind of the most interesting was the West Rogers Park's reaction. Mm. A lot of people who were interviewed afterward, and again, kind of like after the Charleston shooting after some other anti-Semitic attacks kind of reflected on how it just felt like just another one. Mm. It was just another attack that happens all across the country and they they just wanted to move on. So just a few weeks prior, there had been a series of arsons committed in California on synagogues. Mm. So A lot of the West Rogers Park community kind of just blended it together and they're like, this is what happened. Yeah. This is the landscape. Ephraim was actually interviewed and one of the things that he said I thought was honest but hard to hear. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a very safe neighborhood. You heard people yell some anti-Semitic things from cars, but that was it. Wow. And yeah. Ugh.
0: Babe. And this is from a 15-year-old boy. Yeah. Often they're genius, these 15 year old boys. Mm -hmm. Really? I mean, they tell it exactly like it is, and it's sad that that feels normal to hear that in your life. Right? Mm -hmm. Obviously,
1: like they increased security around the synagogues, but otherwise, not much happened. And there was just, there seemed to be this energy to just, let's just get back to normal and everything's going to be fine. And in contrast, back in Bloomington, like I said, Wan Jun Yoon's memorial service was attended by thousands of people. He was remembered as a sensitive, caring, devout individual who really enjoyed living in America. He had moved here to attend undergrad, but maintained a lot of pride in obviously Korean traditions. Each year his church continues to host a memorial service in the yard where he was shot. Sharing for us to end racial violence. Yes, Indiana University also established a scholarship fund in his name, mm. supporting students who promote tolerance and under and understanding across racial lines. That's awesome. Um, so that scholarship is still up and running. Good. And it's still distributed every year. Mm. In Skokie, obviously the community grieved for Ricky Birdsong. He was a bit of kind of like a townie celebrity.
0: Yeah, local celebrity for sure. Yeah.
1: He was really loved. I think at the time he had stopped coaching at Northwestern, mm. but he continued to, like, lead basketball clinics. He supported camps and teams all the way from Skokie down to Cabrini Green and other housing projects. Mm. Like, he would go so far as to just, like, if you showed up at his camp without proper shoes, he would just go buy them for you. Aww. His wife, Sherilyn, and his children, Sabrina and Ricky Jr., went on to organize the race against hate in his honor. Oh. This race is currently sponsored by his family and the YWCA. Wow. Yeah. Like it's a big thing. I remember like seeing it every year That's when awesome. I lived up there.
2: Yeah. So
1: I know we we like to kind of give resources, places to look up then the Race Against Hate is a really great one the YWCA in general is an amazing organization. Yeah, for sure So I'm going to wrap up, this is a quote from Ricky Bird's song that was shared by his wife Sherilyn. just to kind of summarize like the purpose of the Race Against Hate, the longer I live the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. We have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change the past, we cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way you cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have and that is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. I love Such that. a good like
0: basketball coach. It really sport. feels very basketball coachy. Yeah.
1: And, and like my my little heart is a flutter because I love basketball. I played forever. Yeah. So, I don't know. It spoke to me.
0: Yeah, it speaks to me too. I feel like you know what I was thinking kind of like while you were reading that was like you know I think we often have and especially in our like last few episodes this feeling of like what do we do what do we do what do we do
2: mm-hmm.
0: like delving into these resources as much as possible
2: mm-hmm.
0: is what you do but it's also just like shut up and listen you know yeah. it's a big part of this like we need to hear these voices we need to listen to them we need to stop talking as white people and listen.
1: Talking about like the things that happened in our community that we wish didn't happen yeah rather than sweeping them under the rug and saying that's them that's them
0: yeah that's not me so i'm not gonna acknowledge it or big it's really hard it's hard but it's really necessary and there's lots and lots and lots of books that we all should be reading about so i just bought i ordered stamped from the beginning the definitive history of racist ideas in america
1: I have heard of that book. I heard really good things.
0: It looks excellent and it'll get here on Tuesday. So I will let you know. Mediocre, the dangerous legacy of white male America. You know, and then like positive, really positive voices and like, you know, read black authors.
1: So one of the best things I ever did for myself was I took a year and I didn't read anything by white people.
0: Yeah, that was a good year for
1: I I highly recommend people taking that challenge. It was, I discovered so many great authors. I'm a big science fiction nerd. And so I grew up on all of that, like Cold War era science fiction. But obviously that was very white.
0: Yeah. And very male. I discovered some of the best authors.
1: Oh, yeah. Still in that same exact genre.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really, you know, shut up and educate. And start fights at the Thanksgiving table. Hell yes. So we hope right now that you're brawling at your Thanksgiving table.
1: Yeah, I hope somebody threw a turkey leg.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I hope that
1: you threw one right back. Don't throw the mashed potatoes because those are friggin' gold.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but throw things for sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is that it? Is Is that our story for this week? I think that's our story for this week. I think it was really interesting. Yeah. What do you do next week? Tell us about next week. Oh, what am I doing next week? Oh! I'm full of (laughs) these, like, all of my reactions are, like, so latent right now because I've had a really long week. That's (laughs) okay, girl. We're gonna wrap up. You're gonna go to bed. Oh, my God. I've been doing this conference all day and my brain's melting. So, next week, we will be discussing uh, a super fascinating and contemporary case related to who will be very soon the first woman to be executed in this country in many decades who was tried and found guilty of the gruesome murder of another woman for purposes that are uh, extremely nefarious and disgusting and sad that we will discuss next week but it's an interesting (laughs) case it's kind of a gut-wrenching case and it's also just like really really freaking weird but also very timely because we're gonna have to talk about like the death penalty and and what it looks like and this one is due to be executed very that soon. week the that week oh, okay yeah wow i think it's that week because the or the next week i think the execution date is the fifth and that episode will drop the third so, oh wow yeah okay yeah so
1: listen if you want to be like in the know on all yeah. of the cool articles that are going to come out after we're
0: keeping you up to date, people. Up to date. Up to date. All right, people. Thank you for hanging with us for another long one and another tough one. Tough in a different way than our last couple, but tough nonetheless. I think this one was really challenging for me personally. Just Mm -hmm. um, so many things to think about and a lot of people to grieve and to miss, you know. So um, certainly need to take some time to just reflect on that as well. So yeah, we're glad you're here. Glad you're hanging with us. Feel free, and we encourage you to connect with us on the socials. Woo, everything at Midwretched. Heck yes, everything at Midwretched. Perfect, I love it. Yeah, All right. anything else
1: we need to say? No, thank you guys so much. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and you enjoy our processing.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And as we head into this holiday season, just remember to be nice.
2: Be kids.
0: And know that we love you. you. Yay, bye friends. Like I'm in a non-disclosed location.
1: You do. You look like
0: you're in a murder basement. I am in a murder basement. Dun dun dun. Talking about murders in the murder about basement.
2: Murders. I might light a candle actually for some extra light.